Hello, and welcome to The Neighbor Next Door, a podcast about the power and importance of neighboring. I'm your host, Matthew Johnson, and I am joined, as usual, by my colleague and neighboring, Adam Barlow-Thompson. Hey, good neighbors. Welcome to The Neighbor Next Door. We're doing a couple episodes from the archives as we go through the holidays, and today we are rebroadcasting our interview with Anna Almendrala who is a friend of mine, lives out in California. Um, this was recorded uh, at the, kind of at the beginning of the pandemic and has one, an experience that Anna had with one of her neighbors. Um, Anna is Asian American and had some, um, uh, you know, racism on her block with a neighbor and she responded with grace and wisdom. And so we are excited to share that with you. Just an FYI, there is some um, explicit language in this episode. If you don't want to hear that, just switch on to the next one. But if you're cool with uh, a few F-bombs, then keep on listening. Hello, and welcome to The Neighbor Next Door a podcast about the power and importance of neighboring. I'm your host, Matthew Johnson, and as usual, I am joined on our virtual front porch by my colleague in neighboring, Adam Barlow-Thompson. Adam, nice haircut. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Uh, I've been known for good haircuts for many years, um, and that's been confirmed today by one of my longtime friends who's with us on the virtual front porch, Anna Almondrala. Welcome to the front porch, Anna. Thank you guys so much for having me. That's right. When Anna got on before we started recording, she told a great story about when we lived together in Washington, D.C. for a year and the amazing haircuts that proved definitively that I am super sexy. <laughs> and the rest of us were super lame. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm super sexy to lame people, I guess. Is that what that means? Yeah. The fact that we thought that you were sexy says so many bad things about us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that's that's a perfect lead-in um, to my introduction of Anna. Um, so, in my notes for the podcast today, I have the thing that I love about Anna is that she is one of the most blunt people that I've ever met in my life. But she follows it up immediately with like the deepest well of compassion that I also have ever seen in my life. And so she somehow carries this like tough and tender approach to life. And that's why we're super excited to have you on the podcast. So Anna, will you just kind of introduce yourself? Like, who are you? What do you do? Where, where are you located? So that our listeners um, know a little bit about you. Okay, my name is Anna Almondrala, 35 years old. I'm a healthcare journalist. I live in Los Angeles. I live here with my husband and three-year-old daughter. Um, I was born in the Philippines, but I grew up in New Zealand and I moved to the United States when I was nine years old. I've been in LA only as long as basically I've been married to my husband. Um, other things that you should know about me. I'm an Enneagram eight. Mm. Um, <laughs> when, after we graduated from college, I did a year long internship at Sojourners, which is a progressive Christian magazine in Washington, DC. And that's how I know Adam. We all live together in the same house. We all worked at the same magazine and 
he actually married me and my husband. That's right. Yeah, that was one of the best weddings ever. Um, so Simon, Anna's husband, is Jewish. So I got to co-officiate the wedding with a rabbi. And because the rabbi was like very, like you could see obviously that he was a rabbi, right? Anna asked if I would wear a black shirt and a collar, which anybody who knows me as like a pastor knows that's not really like my normal jam, Um, but I did it. And then we danced like crazy after the wedding. And there was this moment where I was like dancing super hard and I just grabbed my collar and just pulled it out. It just like shook my booty really hard and the crowd went wild and it was like, it was a beautiful moment. I really, you're the coolest, craziest, sexiest pastor I'm converting right now. That's right. And you guys just celebrated your 10th anniversary. Is that right? That's right. That's right. 10 years. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Um, the other thing about Anna that she didn't say is that she is a podcaster as well. And okay. she has a really vulnerable and hilarious and wonderful podcast about uh, fertility issues and and some of the stuff there. You want to say a little bit about that, Anna? Yeah. When I used to be at Huffington Post, they greenlit this two-season podcast about me and my husband going through infertility treatment. So we go through IVF um, on the podcast. And then for the second season, we interview other people who have different fertility stories who take different routes to get to parenthood and family, like let's say foster care, adoption, um, surrogacy, that sort of a thing. So it's, it was just us trying to expand um, basically people's readers' perceptions of what it means to make a family and have a family. Yeah, it has a great um, balance of like sharing vulnerably something that usually people keep pretty private Um, and like, I think it's a form of advocacy that you guys do really well. And recently, and the thing that spurred our interview today, you wrote an article that was in the LA times, um, about an experience you had with a neighbor. And it has that same vibe of sharing something very personal that happened that, that often people, um, keep pretty private, but you shared it in a way that was just so blunt and compassionate all at the same time. Uh, and I, Uh, My wife read it first, actually, and immediately sent it to me and said, you must interview her for the podcast. And so so I read it and I agreed. And so here we are. So I guess, would you just give us a little, like, give us the play-by-play of the incident that the article was about? Yeah, sure. So I live in Los Angeles, as I said, and right now we're in the middle of the pandemic. Well, yeah, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Um, A couple of days before the incident, the mayor of Los Angeles had actually mandated that in addition to wearing face, he first, his first order was that when you enter an essential business, like a supermarket, you have to wear a mask to protect the essential workers. Makes sense. Then a couple of days later, he upped the ante and he said, when you leave your house, you must wear a mask. Um, okay, so that's the context. Um, we had been already like two and a half months into shelter in place. And basically, I had not been driving. So I had forgotten that when my toddler gets strapped into her car seat, and she has a skirt on, the skirt riding up her back causes her to like just lose her shit. Just mm-hmm. like absolute tantrum, screaming, kicking, bucking in the car seat. 
Um, it's a total, it's a sensory processing issue that like, it's not really about disobedience at all. It's about like her losing control over something that feels so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So um, we were coming home from a short drive. My toddler was tantruming. And then like, I would say two, three blocks away from our house. I just told my mom, stop the car. I got to stop this. Get, I'm going to get her out of the car seat. I'm going to walk home. So I took her out of the car. Um, my mom drove home. My dad was with me and I, we calmed her down on the sidewalk. And then we were walking home to our house, which was only two, three blocks away. And because I hadn't anticipated that we were going to be leaving the car for any reason, none of us had masks on. So we got to our block and uh, two houses away from our house, we are, you know, we're walking on the sidewalk all together. It's me, my dad and my daughter. So that's three, gener three generations. And a man, we see a man um, unloading his groceries from the trunk of his car and he just looks at us and he says something like, you're the most fucking selfish people on the planet. And I was like, what? And then he was like, where the fuck is your mask? And I was like, oh, like, I, I was so stunned. And then yeah. like, I immediately went to self-defense, but I was like, oh my gosh, I'm your neighbor. Like, my name's Anna. I live two doors down from you. Like, we're so close. Like, I didn't expect, and he just doesn't care at all. He just cuts me off and he was like, I don't give a fuck what your reason is. I don't give a fuck where you live or where you're going. Like, think about other, you know, like, at this point, my dad, you know, who's a little bit hard of hearing, he, he was just starting to understand what was going on. So he just started say, apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. We forgot. And like, you know, the man, my dad is like a humble man. And to hear him you know, verbally prostrate himself like that was like so mm. chilling to me because it's just something that is such a part of like our childhood, the way that we grew up as immigrants in two different white majority countries. I've, I've seen my dad do this many times before actually, and it kills me every time. And the dad and, and, and my neighbor like just didn't relent. He was like, you should be sorry and you should try to make her sorry too. Unbelievable. And then he just keeps on like, he just like, He's like, you better walk around me. You better fucking walk around me. So we just like, I took my kid's hand. We walked around him. We got to our house. And what I'm trying to emphasize to you guys, I mean, this is so self-defensive and in fairness to my neighbor, like he's right. We didn't have our masks on, but we were so close to our house that it could have been that we had parked our car and were walking to our house. That's how close we were. Wow. So we got home like, Thank, even though my kid is three, I don't think she really understood what happened. So she wasn't upset when we got home. She started playing right away. I was shaken. My dad was shaken. We immediately like retreated to our separate rooms because like it was so intense that we had to emotionally process individually. And I just like started talking to my husband, but I started crying really, really hard. I cried for such a long time that I got a migraine. So that was... Um, the effect that it had on me. And of course, uh, he didn't say any racial slurs. He didn't call us anything that the things that you might think of, but it also, in a way, it almost like it felt racial because um, there are so many people in our neighborhood. I live in a majority white neighborhood and there are so many people in our neighborhood, regardless of what orders are, are in place about face masks, they're walking they're walking their dogs, they're jogging, they're exercising, no masks. And I surely am not the first person to have done that. And I just, I just have such a hard time believing that he would take that same heat and anger to a white family. But, you know, that's just me guessing. 
especially like right at that moment, the news was filled with a bunch of stuff about the coronavirus being linked to China. And it was like right when all the conspiracy theories had come out about like this clinic in Wuhan and all this stuff. And I think, I mean, it just, it, it, and this has been the experience now. So now we're a couple of weeks removed from there. Since that, we've had George Floyd was murdered and there's been immense talk and conversation about racism and what that means. And this is a theme I hear again from people is like, it wasn't explicitly racial, but like it was racial, right? Like every, right. We, and we have to confirm that with each other. It's like, there's some, I don't know, that that's a painful place to be as well. So well, I thought, yeah, I talked about it with my therapist. I was like, was this racist? And does it even, why am I obsessed with confirming whether or not this was racist? And then she, for her, she said like, you know, the man didn't say any racial slurs, but the way that you heard it, the way that it landed on you has a racialized past. It has an effect on you because of the way that you've been treated in the past by other white people. The fact that like white people in the past have felt so comfortable dressing down your parents Mm -hmm. in that humiliating way. Um, And of course there's a generational aspect too, because I, I felt horrible that now it was my daughter's turn to hear me get like reamed out by like some angry white man. And it's just for me to just like have no witty response, no comeback. Like, again, I talked to some friends about this and they were just like, why didn't you just tell him to get fucked and keep walking? <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause you're like the queen of witty responses. So like, yeah, like if he, if he would have caught Anna in a different moment, you'd be like on him. But there's a, I mean, it, it seems, it's, and this is the thing about the racial undertones. It's like, it has this component of shame to it that just like, it silences people mm-hmm. in the moment. And that sucks. Yeah. The reason that, I think I'm on this neighboring podcast is because um, the reason that I was so shocked at him is because I kept on thinking in my head, I'm your neighbor. Yeah. I live so close to you. And, um, and um, that's why I think I didn't get nasty on him is because I live here. I have to live here. I have to live with you. And like, after I calmed down, um, the second half of the story is that I wrote him a card and um it was one of those like cards that you get printed from like minted.com or something where like your picture your family's picture is on the front oh my gosh oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, I, like i wanted to confirm like this is the people that you is that what your thought process was yeah i was i like through the whole time that i was writing it i was like thinking like you will not treat me like i'm nobody like we yeah. have names we live next to you and even though, um, you know, I would say that my card was like 50, 60% outreach. It was also the other half of it was defensive. Like you will not treat me this way. Like I'm nobody, like I'm nothing. But basically the neighborly part of it was that like, I acknowledged that I was wrong. Like I acknowledged that the orders had just come down three days ago. I'm sorry that I didn't have my face mask. I also said that like, you know, I'm here if you need anything, you know, I know that you're, I saw that he was an older man. I saw that his trunk was full of groceries, like a huge, strange amount of groceries. So I'm thinking to myself, like, 
maybe this guy is so scared about his heightened risk that he goes shopping so he doesn't have to leave his house for several weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. And so I gave him my cell phone number, my email address, and, um, and I said, if you ever need me to do any errands for you, pick up drugs, groceries, like I'm here for you. Let's all be in this together. Like this is a scary time. And like, this is my name. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so that was where the article <laughs> left off. It's been a few weeks since then. Like, I'm curious, have you heard back from him? No. Mm. <laughs> well, that's the end of that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting is that this is this a part of the story that did not make it into the article is that like this man lived in a duplex. So when I delivered the card, I actually initially misdelivered it to the wrong duplex unit. So I immediately got a call from the woman who opened the card and she was like, Hey, I just read your card. Sorry. I didn't mean to pry. I thought it was for me. Um, this, I'm not your, that neighbor. Like I'm a woman who lives alone with her mom. So there are no men in my house. So I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then I like, I rushed back over to get the card. At this point I was like, so over it already. I, I, I met this woman for the first time. We exchanged names and phone numbers and I was just like, look, I'm so over it at this point. I'm 50%. Should I just throw this in the trash? You know, you just asked that to this stranger lady. Yeah, who you just I was met. like, what did you think about this card? Is it bullshit? Like maybe <laughs> I should just let it go. <laughs> and she said, and she said, no, I think it was a really nice card. I'm shocked that he would do that to you. Um, he's a quiet man. And, um, the way you describe it in your card, I don't like the image of, of thinking of like a, a an older man likes shouting at a woman and a child that way. Mm. But also you wrote a really nice card. So I think you should deliver it. So I was like, okay. So I put it in the correct mailbox. Oh my gosh. That is. Wow. That I would have definitely given up like five times before you did. (laughs) (laughs) When I have good intentions and then something awkward happens, I'm like, screw it. I'm out. Well, actually, and this is, I love my therapist so much because I'll quote her again because she was like, you know, depending on what you believe about God or the universe or whatever, you could think of that brief interaction with the the woman neighbor as like um, divine intervention, like a confirmation, like here's like a neutral third party that knows neither of you and can judge like, yeah, this card is a good idea. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. I love you, Dr. Tanya Woods. <laughs> the line that killed me was you like talk about the letter you say you haven't heard back from him and then you say my dad spent the rest of that morning praying that the man didn't get the coronavirus lest he blame us and all Asians forever and I was like, it is it is the best writing and it just breaks my heart and like it just speaks to like the many layers of like emotional work that's happening when people experience racism, when they experience just conflict with each other. And like, I don't know, it just meant so much to me to like, I mean, I could just picture that in my head. I could picture your dad praying in that way. 
So it's by the way, that was like absolutely no embellishment. When my dad and I talked about it later, he was like, I prayed for that man. Um, I hope he doesn't blame Asians for this. I hope that he doesn't get sick. Man. Yeah. Which again, speaks to like, no matter, you know, what um, a person's intention is, uh, you have no control over how it lands on um, a group of people that have already had past racialized experiences. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this morning I, I was listening to um, the Brene Brown podcast, which she's all about like shame. And so that's been really on my mind. And she was interviewing Tarana Burke, who's like the me too uh, founder. And, and Tarana Burke was talking about how like victims of sexual abuse, um, one of the like root issues that they have to address when they're experiencing healing is shame and then she's she goes on in the next minute to be like and that's the exact reason why we can't shame the perpetrators and like when we put shame on them and she talked about like with the harvey weinstein how like he's going to prison now and how people are like yeah and i hope he gets raped there and she's like that doesn't help like that's not that's not helpful and um and in our, in our work, we talk about how like we must see abundance in our neighbors and we must assume that they are gifted and that everyone is gifted and that when we use those gifts, we experience wholeness. And somehow in your story, you like did that so well. Like you didn't shame this man in the article. You didn't, you, you still opened the door for him to be a neighbor to you. And like you've named a little bit of this in the story, but I'm just curious, like what happened from when you were crying with a migraine to when you wrote the letter that like clicked in your head that was like, no, I, I can still be gracious to this guy. Like what kind of inner work does that take for you? Honestly, reflecting on my past mistakes with my neighbors. And what I mean by that is like, um, I, I have this neighbor who has a tiny dog and the dog is so small that that it shits like basically Tootsie Roll Pops, okay? <laughs> yes. And the poops are so small that like I can understand as a dog owner how you don't really pick them up. But uh, when they okay. accumulate on your front yard, it's like kind of a lot. And like it will, <laughs> it will eventually like fuck up your shoe, right? <laughs> so <clears throat> I became obsessed with this neighbor and I was like doing my work at my kitchen table so I could just like see if I could catch her in the act, right? Yes. <laughs> so one day I actually catch her in the act. She walks over in her bathrobe. She lets her little dog poop in my yard and then she walks away. And then I immediately run out oh and I'm like, God. hey, hey, I just saw you do this. Why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> I have a baby. We can't even use our front yard because of you. Like, and then she was like completely shocked. She was like, I was definitely gonna come back and pick it up. I was like, yeah, right, come back right now and pick it up. Like really like going postal on this lady, right? <laughs> after a couple of, you know, honestly, like after a couple of weeks, couple of months, like I felt justified in my anger. I felt justified in my explosion of her uh -huh. um, over time. And then like, as I see her, like she, she and I can no longer like meet eyes anymore because she's still embarrassed, right? Yeah. We, we can't wave, we can't, we can't say hello, not, it's all gone. And then as several months ago by, I see that she is actually growing a baby bump. She was pregnant when I had shouted at her and she was about to give birth. And as somebody with an infant myself, I thought to myself in a selfish way, but also in like a practical way, like, 
you slammed the door on a relationship with this woman and now your child is going to suffer because she could have had a, a very close playmate and now she can't because mm -hmm. of the way that I acted toward this woman. So like that was a major mistake that was going through my head. Oh, oh my but God. Not my neighbor. I was thinking about like, cause it's in Los Angeles, you know, we're a county of more than 10 million people. It's so hard to find community here. It's so hard to make real genuine friends. When I first moved into my home five years ago, I spent three, four days making a plate of Christmas cookies for every single person on my street, on my block, which was like actually like 30 to 40 homes. Mm. Wow. And I included cards with our names, numbers, emails, like letting them know that we're open for friendship, relationship. Um, I didn't get a single response. Right. I didn't get anyone emailing or calling me to say thank you or to express an interest in like getting to know us more. And mm -hmm. to me, that was like a big, it was shocking, but it was also a reminder that like in Los Angeles, um, people are suspicious, I guess, or like people already have their own cliques and communities that they don't want to stray from, or that they don't see like the block as right. like a place where they can have a, a new set of friends. Like where I grew up in, in the Bay area, I lived in a court in a suburb that had like the Christmas cookie exchange once a year and summertime, a barbecue. Right. So to have like, to not know anybody on my street was like scary to me. Yeah. I mean, over time it, it has happened that like, I have met some people, mostly dog walkers or pe people who are pedestrians. We have like exchanged names and phone numbers. So it's not like I don't know anybody, but like the lack of community in Los, in the, my particular Los Angeles neighborhood is like very, it's very lonely. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. so then like when I saw that woman's pregnancy progressing, I thought to myself, Hmm, I fucked this up for my, for my own daughter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, I just, I just can't believe how accurately I described you at the beginning of this podcast. So blunt and so compassionate all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't compassionate. Well, I mean, like, what would you have done if you become obsessed with like the, the dog pooper, not picker upper? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing about like Matt and I is that we are such spineless tweeds that like we've never yelled at anybody in our lives. Um, <laughs> mm, yeah, so, so, but that's not necessarily a good thing because it just means we get run over all the time, which we literally were just talking about before you got on the call because it just happened. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like it is like, and it's one of the things we get people ask us about a lot is like, how do I set good boundaries with my neighbors? How do I like have conflict with my neighbors? Um, and we didn't have, we don't have great answers necessarily because all of it is painful and hard and uh, takes a lot of like inner work to do. But that's one of the things that's great about neighborhoods. Your block will shape you as a person if you let it. And like that, that is crazy. Like, your interaction with this lady shaped you for then the next interaction that you had. That's yeah. crazy to me. Like we don't think about our block doing that, but it, it happens mm -hmm. whether you're really intentional about it or not. I want to just chime in really quick too, because I think your your note to the man then 
to this neighbor who, who yelled at you. It, it is the both and. I, I think the whole note really is neighboring. Both the challenge to see you, you challenging him to see you as a person, but also reaching out, you know, with an, with an apology and kind of a, you know, like, I don't want to close this door. And I think that's the thing. Like we, t I tend to err on the side of being like, oh, I'm so sorry, but I don't necessarily hold people accountable to see me as a person. Mm. And I think, I think healthy neighboring must be both. And that's, it's amazing that you were able to bring those two things together in that one card. Yeah. I think one of the things that you're also saying is like, I don't have to just go and fit into your world. You know, like I, this is who our family is and we're going to be here two doors down from you still. And this is what we look like. I love that your card had the picture of your family. So you were literally like, this is who we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And also I had to like, I just, you know, no shade to my dad or anything, but I just can't live like him. Mm -hmm. I can't just like take and take and take and then like do nothing in return have no response or no mechanism for self-defense it's not my dad has that developed that strategy as a survival and a coping mechanism for living as a minority in different countries but it doesn't have a neutral effect on him it affects how he yeah. sees himself as a man he apologized to me later for not being able to defend me and my daughter and i was like no dad i'm sorry that you had to deal with my crazy neighbor and like that that you're, my dad was only here. He moved in with us because he was helping us with childcare during the pandemic because we lost our nanny and our preschool. So mm -hmm. I apologize to him for, you know, that move, like putting him in, in the path of the neighbor. But I just had to, I can't do what my dad does. Yeah. And I don't think my dad should do what he does anymore either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is to do nothing. And then try to find ways to blame himself. Like another thing that didn't make it into the article is that, you know, in the, in the days afterwards, when we were processing this as a family, you know, the first day he was like, I apologize. I didn't stand up for you. The next day he was like, you know what the real problem is? Goldie having the tantrum. We need to be better prepared. We need to control uh. her better. We need to control her behavior. And it's like, you know, I understand what, why my dad is saying this. It's like he buys into this model minority myth of like, if we can just become perfect, if we have like no outbursts or like, mm -hmm. no, we can't, if we don't like violate the rules in any way, then like we don't give people a target to hurt us. And it's just like, no, like we're allowed to take up space here too. Like this is our house as well. us such a gift right now because we are matt and i if you've never seen us before hella white dudes we are so <laughs> white dudes um and midwestern midwestern mid midwestern <laughs> yeah and so like you know when we we know when we go tell people that neighboring's awesome and you should go do it that like there is a certain amount of like privilege that i have as a white dude going in my neighborhood and never never address like i don't ever feel 
unsafe going in anybody's door. I don't feel unsafe for like that. I'm going to be attacked by anything. I'm one of the people in your neighborhood who can walk their dogs and not wear a mask and nobody cares. Um, and so like you're giving us a perspective that I think is really important right now. And you of course always bring it with lots of wisdom, swearing and fun. Um, <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> so I really appreciate you being w willing to process this more with us. All right. Well, thank you, friends, for listening to this episode of The Neighbor Next Door. You can learn more about Anna and her work by uh, checking out the notes on this episode. And um, yeah, the music you hear in the background is provided by Brutal Bear. And you can learn more about the neighboring movement by visiting our website, www.neighboringmovement.org. Uh, and until next time, happy neighboring. Happy neighboring. Happy neighboring. Happy neighboring.